Well, we are at, at the end today of six weeks of looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians, Paul's pastoral word at the end of his life to his beloved congregation. And we move from chapter three last week to chapter four this week, and there's a shift in tone. Chapter three, if you didn't catch it, Paul is a a little edgy and a little militant in chapter three, a little cranky, I suppose would be one way to put it. Damn angry would be another way to put it. Um, But there's a tone of militancy in chapter three, and that tone moves to a tone of gentleness in chapter four. I think it was uh, Jim Cahill that came up to me after the service where Paul details all of the ways that he fits the bill for righteousness under the law, you know, a, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, you know, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, you know, a Pharisee, and as to righteousness under the law, perfect. And Jim came up to me and said, but the one thing Paul didn't have was humility, apparently, in that, <laughs> that particular moment. And uh, that's true, but he's very angry at what's going on in the church. And in Galatians, he, he makes some rather inopportune but pointed remarks about this same thing. And he says, you know, I've been down that road. I know what it means to fulfill all the rules. And I understand perfectly well that that's not the righteousness that unites us with God. It's the righteousness that keeps us constantly pursuing God. And so in chapter four, he kind of recovers from that that sense of, I've gone down that road and it doesn't work. And he returns to the warmth of chapter one, where he's so lovingly talking about partnership with the church. And that warmth returns here as he calls this congregation to rejoice, to rest in, to be at peace with God through Jesus Christ. So let's look at the entirety of chapter four. Therefore, my brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed 
and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in want. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The friends who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of the emperor's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Lord, lead us into joy. Lead us, therefore, into rest and peace. Help us to be people who understand ourselves to be in your embrace and to find the confidence in that embrace to boldly reflect your love in the world. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You've all heard me say more than once, I'm sure, that when you read the scriptures, be careful not to just simply read the Bible to scan for phrases that you can lift out of context that fit on bumper stickers or bookmarks. Those are helpful, but they fit on bumper stickers and bookmarks, and they come from a context that even makes them more helpful. And Philippians, if it's anything, is filled with potential candidates for bumper stickers and bookmarks. It is a veritable gold mine of rich ore that can be mined, and these things can be extracted and put in those places that we can access easily. There used to be this thing, I don't know, it was, it was in, when I was in my teens or 20s that Christian bookstores would sell these precious promise packets. And again, alliteration, precious promise packets, you know. Uh, and you could kind of go through these cards and, and they'd be flashcards of all of these kinds of things. And Philippians is filled with potential sources of this. And that's a good thing because these are such rich lines. We did this passage, the four, seven through nine in our Lexio Divina group on Tuesday morning. And everyone was just kind of going, Ugh, too much here. I'm just hearing, <laughs> hearing so much. You know, they couldn't pick out just one thing because it was just filled with several of these phrases, you know, but the whole book is that way. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God will fully supply every need of yours according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And we could go on and on and on. It's a wonderful book. Read the whole thing. It only takes a few minutes and set all of those things in context. They are great and inspiring promises. They're kind of battle cries 
and they, they signify a kind of triumphant life in Christ. But when we set them in the context of Philippians, we've got to remember the place from which they sprung, so to speak. The Philippian church situation and Paul's own situation is not one of triumphalistic riding the crest of the wave. It's a very hard time. And triumphalism is not the message. If you look at the way in which these phrases are lived out in the day-to-day -day life of Paul and, and the Philippians as he writes this letter. You see Paul in prison, expecting, not knowing what to expect for that matter, but having a pretty good idea that this might end in death. You see the congregation expressing its concern for Paul by sending Epaphroditus with this support that Paul needs and Paul's enormous gratitude for that support, but also letting them know that it's okay, he'll be fine. So the congregation's expressing their concern for Paul and their fears about him. The congregation is also dealing with its own problem. It's one of the reasons that Paul keeps talking about being of the same mind. And he identifies one particular situation here at the end in chapter four, where he says, I urge you, Odia, and I urge Syntyche to agree in the Lord, to have the same mind in the Lord. Here's an application, in other words, for what I've been saying throughout this entire letter, says Paul. Euodia and Syntyche, get your act together. People are tired of you bickering at one another. It's unclear why they were bickering or what they were doing, but it was just like Paul saying, Epaphroditus told me, and step back and get a bigger picture, please. And how many churches have fights between Euodia and Syntyche, not to pick on women, but to men as well, who are at odds with one another because of something going on in the church. It's always there. But you also have a group of Gentile followers of Jesus who are trying to figure out what it means to jump in this stream that has been the stream of Judaism and yet followers of Jesus Christ and trying to figure out how much of Judaism they have to adopt and how much of Christian faith is about Jesus and, and where do those two things work together. And so it's just fertile ground for theological argument. And that's all going on in the church at this time. So this church is not riding the crest of a wave. All these triumphant sayings come at a time where it's clearer as a former Southern Californian and body surfer, where you're not riding the crest of the wave, you are more thrashing about in the, the wave that just broke on you and <laughs> wondering how you're going to get your head above water. But one message comes through clearly here at the end, and it's the one I want to speak to today. And it's that message of striving to grow up into the one who is our head, as Paul says elsewhere in another one of his letters, but striving to have the mind of Christ and growing up into the mind of Christ. And he gives us a very particular characteristic of what it looks like when we have the mind of Christ, and it's wrapped up in that word gentleness. Let your gentleness be seen by all. The Lord is near. You're in the Lord's arms, you're in the Lord's presence, so relax. Be gentle with yourself, 
and with your world. Let your gentleness be seen by all. The Lord is near. And it's some advice, I think, from Paul here at the end about how we navigate the Christian life in the world in which we find ourselves. How we engage the world with the mind of Christ. He says, rejoice in the Lord always, verses 4 through 7. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be seen by all. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, he says. And as we've talked about already more than once in these weeks, that word rejoice is much more variegated and, and complex than simply being glad or giddy or happy. It's about dwelling in, it's about abiding in, it's about resting in Christ. And that brings joy to have that kind of rest, but rejoicing is as much about quiet contemplation and peace as it is about raucous laughter and joyous singing. Dwell in, abide in, rest in Christ Jesus. In other words, rejoice in the Lord, let yourself be held as you dwell in the presence of the Lord. And while we're talking about it, says Paul, let's talk about anxiety. Because isn't that what fuels most of our lives? Anxiety about what is to come or regret about what has been, but either way we're living in the past or the future and not in the presence and the present reality of God's presence. And so Paul says, have no anxiety. The best fuel for life, Paul is saying, is not anxious adrenaline. Although a lot of us order our lives using that fuel to keep us going. The best fuel for life is gentleness. The best fuel for life is resting in the truth that the Lord is near and staying vigilant. What Paul's essentially saying in these lines is loosen your death grip on life and let yourself be held by the one who holds all things together. And let this one guard your hearts, literally put up a garrison around your heart so that you can stay centered in the midst of a world that's inviting you always to be a little bit off balance. And what will happen when this happens is that you will find peace. To sum up, he says in verses 8 through 9, dwell on what builds up. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things, says Paul. I read this book and I read it in this context of a, of a Roman Empire that is ascendant in the lives of all of the people who are involved in either writing or reading this book. And what I hear Paul saying 
more than anything else is be what Rome can never be. Be gentle. Act in a countercultural way. The way of the one whom you follow, the way of the one who, although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be exploited, but chose to empty himself of that divine prerogative and to do so for our sake. It's a non-anxious and confident way that Paul is talking about to live knowing that we are in the hands of the one who, as Paul says later in Colossians, or later in the Bible, earlier in his life than this. <laughs> Let yourselves be held by the one who holds all things together. Rome, on the other hand, is all about conquering and trying to hold together all that it has conquered. And whether we're talking about the Roman Empire or our own lives on a daily basis, that can be an apt description of what fuels our lives, conquering and then being anxious about holding on to all that we have conquered. And I think that what Paul is doing here is saying quite literally to the church, your job is not to usher in the kingdom of God. Your job is not to usher in the kingdom of God, but to rest in the arms of the one who, to whom every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to be Lord. It's a very different perspective. It's not the, I press on and I'm going to win, ripped out of its context in Philippians. It's, I'm going to rest in the one who has won and trust that I will be a part of that in its day. So Paul says, let your gentleness be seen by all. The Lord is near. What we need to keep in mind is, this is gentleness that is not simply letting go because we're tired, although that's okay. This is gentleness that is more than just being empathic. That is all, which is also okay, that sense of knowing what another feels and so we can be gentle in the face of our own feelings that are similar. But this is gentleness born of a quiet confidence. And that word confidence is glorious in its Latin cognates of con, with, fide, faith. Gentleness born of confidence that although it looks like Caesar is Lord right now, Jesus is actually Lord, and that whatever happens in life, irrespective of the outcomes of various events, what will be true is that Jesus will still be Lord. So be gentle, says Paul, because this Lord is near. It's the gentleness of maintaining a loose grip on all things of this world because we know that we are in the arms of our creator and because we know that there is nothing that can shake us loose from that embrace. Let's pray.
Take us beyond the limits of our stunted imaginations, Lord, that can dream up all sorts of reasons why we should be anxious. Who can take the evidence of this world and turn it into nothing more than a call to anxiety. We understand your grace in the midst of that. And we ask for your power by your Holy Spirit to rest in the truth that can move us to a place of gentleness, understanding that whatever happens, you will still be Lord. For we pray in your name. Amen.